you all understand, the transition team has not yet been formed. Uh, there are nominations for the transition team. They're still part of the process that still has to be completed. Uh, hopefully you'll remember um, when I was first here, I said that it's not my job to make changes in the church. I have no authority to do that at all. That's your job to either make the changes or accept the changes that are recommended uh, to you. I will definitely make recommendations. The one thing that I do have charge of is the process. And so I'll be dealing with the process and the results of the process you will be responsible for, what you do with it. So um, where we are right now is you gave names and I've received those names and contact information and uh, this next week I'll be dealing with interviewing them uh, according to certain areas that are needed for the transition team and if commitments are made uh, by those people that were nominated um, and uh, conversely commitment made by me, then we'll have a transition team that hopefully can be announced to you by next Sunday and uh, we'll be off and running. Uh, for those that were nominated, I just wanna say be aware, there's a lot of work involved. Those of you who nominated them, you nominated people to be involved in a lot of work. And uh, most of all, you need to be prayerful prayerful for the entire process, but prayerful for those people that are involved. Yes, you will. By next Sunday, hopefully, you will have that announced to you, who those individuals are and who have been interviewed and confirmed, et cetera, et cetera. Pardon? Um, I don't know where your leadership is on that, on that issue. I know the people have given nominate names in and uh, those names have been forwarded to me. All of your votes have been given to me by all of the people that voted, and there are some top people on those that were nominated. As, uh, as Frank said earlier, the, uh, he cut it kind of a couple of different ways, and they came out basically the same on the, uh, on the number of those that were there. So five, five names is what I got, and those are the five names that I'll be interviewing, and we'll see where we go with that. If none of those names turn out, then we're back to finding more. Okay, so yeah. Well, there was a there was a two week period where you were supposed to be in prayerful preparation, and then last week was the time to vote, and that's that's what I got from Frank, right? All right, and in the meantime, I've been going through gathering documents about the church and from the church and evaluating those um, according to uh, standards uh, that are needed. And one of the things that I thought would be good is to kind of uh, frame that in a passage from Titus where Paul tells Titus, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there. Uh, so there was work left undone or work that still needed to be done and there's work that still needs to be done in your church and you have been in existence for some time. But as is true in all churches, there are things that don't always get done the way they should or don't always get done that need to get done and um, that's kind of where you are right now. And this is a great time when you don't have a pastor to deal with those issues. And... Um, 
last time I was here, we talked about uh, that will help you to decide what kind of a pastor you want. What is the pastor supposed to be who comes? Not every pastor is equal. Not every pastor is the same. Not every pastor has the same giftedness. Not every pastor has the same personality. Not every pastor will kind of mesh with you. And so you need the pastor that does. That will be a real key for, uh, for you moving forward. Okay? Any questions about that before we jump in to gather some thoughts out of God's Word? All right. Well, let me take you to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And the whole verse says this, Now I say to you, Jesus speaking, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Jesus talking says, I will build my church. Now here's the problem. Most of the time in our culture, when we say church, we think of building. Church is not building. The church is being built because the church is people. And so the church is built by adding more people. The church is not built by adding more buildings. It's true that we need a building or a place, a cave, a home, some place to meet to be the church. So when you came here this morning, I'm going to guess that most of you thought you were going to church. You weren't. The church was going to a building to meet. You're the church. This place is a building. This place is four walls. This place is not church. It has the name of a church. You call yourselves a church, but you as individuals form the church. And that's very important to remember and very important to uh, realize when, as we go forward. Now, the last time I was here, we talked about our process, our five-step process, five areas of focus. We talked about we're going to focus in with the transition team on the heritage of the church, your background, your history. Uh, some of you know more about your history than others. Some of you know perhaps very little. Uh, I will only know what you tell me and what I see in documents that you have that are of the historical significance. We talked about leadership. How is the leadership structured? Who's in the leadership? What qualifications for leadership? What's needed, etc. We'll deal with all of that in our process. We'll talk about relationships that you have, not relationships with one another as much as relationships with mission organizations, church organizations, institutions, etc. If you have any and what those are. We'll talk about mission and the mission of the church and we'll be talking about that a little bit this morning from from the word and then we'll talk about the future and the future is when you actually have established the parameters by which you want to select a pastor and what the process is that you should employ to find the pastor that's needed for your church so we'll talk about all those things as we go forward but this morning I want to talk about five other areas of focus and these are areas of focus that will help us understand what the central or overall purpose of the church is and how we're supposed to be involved in the process of Jesus building his church. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he's talking about adding people, but we're a part of the process. We're not just part of the church, we're part of the process of adding people to the church and gaining more. So I want to talk about those five areas that are important to that. First of all, we should focus on worship. 
That's a fundamental issue for church. Now, as soon as I say that, most people are going to think of the worship service. They're going to think of singing. They're going to think of music. They're going to think of praying. That's not what I'm talking about, and that's not what fundamentally worship is. Now, those things can add to worship. You can do those things and be worshipful, but that's not the sum total of worship at all. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is the way you live. Worship is how you think and how you think about things and how you express your thoughts around you to others. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So our focus is not to be ourselves. Our focus is to be God. And we focus on him at all times. His kingdom. Focusing on him. Not our needs even. Now we spend time in prayer, all of us do, all of us do, not just on a Sunday morning, but all of us spend time on prayer for our needs. I have a prayer list of people that I pray for because they've asked me to pray for them. They have needs to pray for them. We certainly want to do that. But focusing on needs is not the issue. Focusing on the God who supplies for our needs is. That's worship. Worship is not how long you pray and how much you pray about needs that you might have. Worship is focusing on the God who supplies for those needs and who empowers us to live. Romans 12.1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. That's, that's worship. The rest of that other stuff that we do, that's okay, that's good. But if we think that we have only worshipped when we sing, or we have only worshipped when we pray, or we have only worshipped if we give something to the offering, or we have only worshipped when we appear here on a Sunday morning, we've lost the whole concept of what worship is and the whole focus of worship. And we need to get back to understanding what it's about. So here's the thing. When we worship, we focus our attention on God. When we worship, we focus our attention on God. Not about us. And unfortunately, too many churches, and I have to say this bluntly, too many churches function more like a club than a church. Church, an assembly of church, is not a club. You don't get membership in a club. You become members of the body of Christ. That's what a Christian is. Sometimes we think that belonging to a church is only getting my needs met. We view church as being a hospital to care for us. Church is not a hospital to be cared where you get cared for. You are to be cared for, for sure. There are spiritual gifts for that, and God has a plan for that. But going to church or being a part of the church is not just getting cared for. Our focus is to be God, not ourselves. I think I made the comment last time I was here that every time I look in the mirror, I think, where's that other guy go that I saw here yesterday? I went to the dermatologist this week, and he said, you've got a couple of places on your face that need some help. And I said, I think my whole face needs help. 
So I had to burn a couple of holes in my, my face, my skin, because those of you who uh, are fair-skinned like I am realize you have fair skin, sun is your enemy. Sun will not help you. And um, I'm one of those people, unfortunately. So uh, the doctor did his thing, and hopefully things are well. But it's not about me, it's about God, and it's how I use what God has done in my life for his glory. Do you know... Do you know that the troubles and grief that you have in your life are the basis by which you can have a ministry to others? That's your ministry. Reach down into that pain and use that for God's glory and God's honor. It's not about your pain, it's about God's glory. That's the worship that we're supposed to have. So we focus our attention on God. Romans 8, 7 in the message says this. Focusing on yourself is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self, in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. Isn't that true? I, we all have to get checked on that one, don't we? How many thoughts do we spend throughout the day on ourselves and how many thoughts throughout the day do we spend on God? And I guarantee you, the majority of all of us, myself included, spend more thoughts on ourselves. Romans 12.2 in the message says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Our culture today has invaded church, has invaded the minds and hearts of believers. And we have become so acculturated to what's going on around us that we have forgotten why we're here. We are lights in a darkened world. We are supposed to be impacting culture, not culture impacting us. And the discourse that, that is going around in our culture right now, the view of the others that's going around in our culture right now are things that are absolutely contrary to Scripture. And we cannot and must not think that way. We cannot allow culture to invade our thinking, frame our thoughts, and frame our lives. And we're to always be living counter to the culture around us in that way. The second thing that, we, that I want to say is that we worship when we express our affection for God. When we express our affection for God. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I want you to know me. And how can we know God if all we're worried about is ourselves? How can we know God if all we're thinking about is ourselves and what's going on in our lives? And we play the victim instead of the victor. And Scripture tells us that we are victorious already. You know, we don't wait to get to heaven. We already are victors. We're victors in Jesus. So we worship when we express our affection for God. We also worship when we use our abilities for God. In Romans 12:1, it says this in the message, Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's the way we're supposed to be living living and breathing in worship and focus of God. So we should focus definitely 
as God's people, as church, we should definitely focus on worship. But second of all, the second focus is this. We should focus on fellowship. We should focus on fellowship. Now, unfortunately, there again, we've kind of messed it up in church because fellowship is, time of fellowship is coffee and donuts, right? Or fellowship is eating or snacking or having fun or whatever. That's fellowship. And we've kind of missed what fellowship actually is. Real fellowship means that we share our lives with one another. We share our lives with one another. 1 John 4.21 And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Not other Christians, Christians' brothers and sisters. So we're family. And we belong to one another. And fellowship is loving God's family. And there's three ways in which we can see that. First of all, we choose to belong. We choose to belong to God's family. Now, we choose to belong to God's family by receiving Christ as Savior. We also choose to belong to God's family by joining up with others who belong to him as well. And we call that membership. And some people, they look at membership, even membership in a church, as kind of being anathema and unimportant. It's not unimportant. It's not unimportant. It's important. Why is it important? It's important because it's about commitment. My wife and I have been married for almost 52 years. You don't make it 52 years without commitment. Do you think it's all, all been wine and roses? Do you think it's all been a box of chocolates? 52 years. It's about commitment. It's about commitment in the hard times. It's about commitment in the good times. It's about commitment all the time. And that's what being a part of church is. People join up together and says, I'm making a commitment to you. I want to be a part of this family. I have two sons. They're members of my family. I have others that I know and love who are not part of my family, my blood family. But as Christians, we're joined by the blood of Christ. We belong to one another. It doesn't matter what the name on the door is. It doesn't matter what the geographical location is. We're all part of the big family. But the big family has places geographically where it meets. You're here because you've chosen this piece of geography to meet. There are others meeting this morning in other pieces of geography, even here in Glendora. But they're all a part of the family. Why are you here and not there? Because you've made a commitment to be here. But commitment is more than just being here. Commitment means I want to be a part of this church. So I'm going to be emphasizing membership. And by the way, your documents emphasize membership as well as a part of your church. And choosing to belong is a part of getting baptized. There are many Christians who have never been baptized. And I've always wondered why. I want to ask you a question. Can you all see this? That's a ring that says I've been married to my wife for 52 years. Does this ring make me married? No. But it tells everybody that I am. 
That's what baptism is. Baptism doesn't get you to heaven. Baptism doesn't save you. But baptism tells people, you have been born again. That's why it's important to emphasize baptism. People get baptized. People got baptized in the earliest parts of the church. Specific location. Where did you hear about Jesus? When did you hear about Jesus? When did you receive Jesus? Have you been baptized? Have you made that kind of declaration of what took place in your life? So we choose to belong. The second thing about fellowship is we learn to share. We learn to share. We could call that friendship. In Acts 2, 44, it says this, All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They shared, first of all, their experiences. The experiences that they had. You did that a little bit this morning. You're walking around, shaking hands, hi, how are you, etc. You're sharing some of your experiences. In other settings, you might be more vulnerable in the experiences that you share and share with one another. And those are important times for us as believers. We share our experiences. In Proverbs 27, verse 12, uh, 17, in the English version, it says, today's English version, it says, people learn from one another just as iron sharpens iron. Whatever experiences you have, I guarantee you they're different than mine. I can learn from your experiences, and you can learn from mine. And when we share our experiences together, we grow and we learn and we help one another. That's what it means to experience fellowship. We share our homes with one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, in the New Century Version, it says, Open your homes to each other. Open your homes to each other. Have you ever noticed how some people feel like an invader shows up when they want to into the home? If I see somebody selling something, I don't want them in my home. They can ring the doorbell, they can knock, I don't want them in my home. But who do I want in my home? I want people in my home that I want fellowship with. I don't want fellowship with the guy trying to sell me something. We share our problems with one another. We share our problems with one another. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, share each other's troubles and problems. That's fellowship. So we choose to belong, we learn to share, and then we do our part. That's called partnership, Ephesians 4.16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, every single person, does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you are doing what you're supposed to do, the other person's needs will be being met. If they are doing what they're supposed to do, your needs will be met as well. If you focus on meeting your needs, you will, you will rob someone else of their need being met. It's important. It's important that we understand that in terms of church and how church functions. So we should focus on worship and we should focus on fellowship. And thirdly is this, 
we should focus on discipleship. We should focus on discipleship. Now, the word disciple simply means learner. It's like a student. And the disciples of Jesus were people that followed Jesus around to learn from him, to learn his ways, to learn how he thought, to learn why he thought, to learn how, what he did, to learn why he did it, to learn from him. Sometimes they learned well, sometimes not so well. But they were there to learn from their master. We are to be disciples, disciples of Jesus. They had the advantages of the physical Jesus being present. We don't have that, but we do have an advantage because we have the Spirit of God in us. And the Spirit of God empowers us to live. And the Spirit of God empowers us to focus on learning from him and learning how we're supposed to live and how, how we're supposed to be more and more like him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. Remember that mirror. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without a, his unfolding grace. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It doesn't matter how old we're getting. It doesn't matter how sick we are. What matters is what's going on on the inside. By the way, that has to do with many of the problems that we face. It's far more important to remember what goes on on the inside of you outweighs what is happening to you. It's really far more important. And unfortunately, we're taken away from those thoughts and think it's all about what's happening to us. It's not about what's happening to us. It's happening in us that's important. So we must learn to trust him as part of discipleship. We have to learn to trust him. Now, if I were to ask you how many people trust in Jesus, probably every single one of you would raise your hand. But I can guarantee you that there are times when you don't. Times when you don't. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Do you mean when I get cancer? Do you mean when I lose a leg? Do you mean when I lose a loved one? Do you mean when I lose my job and I lose all sorts of income? Those times too? Here's what it says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He didn't say everything is good. He didn't say everything that's happening to you is good. He says that everything that is happening to you works together for the good. And when our focus on, is on God instead of ourselves, we begin to get a glimpse of that. That's what discipleship is about, is getting a glimpse of that, understanding that, trusting him, trusting God's work in our life. We also must learn to obey him. That's a tough one. 
Sometimes we can trust more than we can obey. Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 out of Deuteronomy 6.13 and reading it in the message. Deeply respect God, your God. Serve and worship him exclusively. Back up your promises with his name only. Live like God wants you to live, in other words. That's what obedience is all about. And that's a part of the process of discipleship. And by the way, it's until the day we die, we're going to be in that process. I don't care how much you know or how much you think you know or how mature you think you are or how mature you actually are in Christ. You still got a distance to go. We all do. We're all in the process. We're all at some place of the journey, but we're all on the journey. None of us have arrived. When we get to heaven, we've arrived. And until then, we're still learning. And that's what we've got to be about is focus on our learning. So we should focus on worship, focus on fellowship, focus on discipleship. And fourthly, we should focus on serving. Focus on serving. The disciples were in the process of becoming more like their master, more like Jesus. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So if Jesus came to serve, and I want to be more like Jesus, what should I be doing? Serving. So church needs to be focused on serving. And serving is not programs. Serving is using God's gifts that he has given to you for the benefit of others. And that is a really important distinction between how we often think. The Bible tells us that there are special abilities that God gives to us. They're called spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are special enablings that God gives to us so that we can serve others. There's not one of those gifts, not one, that is for your personal benefit or mine. Not one. They are all for the benefit of others and exclusively for others, not for ourselves. And when we turn inward and we think that gift is ours, and it's for private use, whatever it happens to be, or for private benefit, or for private glory, or for whatever, we're violating the very purpose for which God gave his gifts. So here's my question. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? And if you don't, I'd like for, to help you learn what they are during our process time. Because it's important. It's important that you know so that you can serve. Some of you may be doing things you should not be doing. You may be in areas of service that is wearing you out. And it's wearing you out because you're not gifted for that area. That's not your area of, of focus. That's not the area that God wants you in. You're being faithful. That's great. That's a great character trait. But being faithful is not a spiritual gift. And much more so, you should be faithful in exercising your spiritual giftedness in the way God intended, in the place that God intended, with the people God intended. So are you using, do you know your gift and are you using it? 
Each and every one of us who know Christ as Savior has been given at least one spiritual gift. Some have more. And God gave us a passion for an area in which we're supposed to do that. I love to teach the Word of God, for instance, because God's given me the gift of teaching. I love to do that. You put me in a room full of kids, I love kids. I love kids. I wish I had a gazillion grandkids. I'm horrible at teaching children. Horrible. I told you before about uh, people that um, are ill. I don't have the gift of mercy. I can show mercy as a character trait. I'm not gifted in mercy. You send me to the hospital, and I'll probably make somebody sicker. Because that's not my gifted area. I don't want people to be sick. I want them to be well. I care for them. But I can't do that like some of you. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you are just good at it, just really good at it. And if I had to go to the hospital for somebody, I would want you there with me. We, 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 we have abilities that are given to us in addition to our spiritual giftedness, our unique spiritual side of us. But there are other abilities that we have <coughs> that, uh, that others don't have. <coughs> it's a little girl that um, used to live next door to us that we still have contact with. They moved to Michigan. She's what they call a 2E child. A 2E child. That's kind of a new designation they're using. Two, two times exceptional. She's extremely bright. At two years of age, she could read her own birthday cards that were given to us, including handwritten ones, flawlessly. If you read her a book, you better not mispronounce a word or miss one, because she would let you know what it was. Extremely bright. But she's ADHD. She's scattered. Emotionally, she's not up to par where her age is. She's eight years old now, and emotionally, she's not really at eight years. So she struggles with that, but she has tremendous ability. She, she has verbal skills that are amazing. She could tell you the names of things that you've never heard of. But she has deficiencies as well. And we're all kind of like that. We have strengths. We have abilities. And God joins those with the spiritual giftedness, and those abilities come to the fore as well. And we get to use those in service. And then, oh, by the way, we bring ourselves along with us, right? We have our personalities. Oh, those wonderful personalities. There are people that we love to work with, and then people that we just assume not work with. Amen? And that's a personality issue. doesn't mean you hate them. doesn't mean you don't want to be around them. It just means, I don't want to work with that one. Those are personality issues. That's part of God's design too. Listen, this world would be a horrible place if everybody were like me. This world would be a horrible place if everybody were like you. We need the diversity. We need to mix it up. We need all of these strengths and weaknesses intermingling with one another. And then we, as we live longer, we gain a lot of experiences. When I first got out of seminary, I knew everything. 
I know less today than I knew when I got out of seminary. <laughs> we learn a lot as we move along. And life teaches us we don't know everything. We just think we do. And we bring our experiences to bear in the service that we have with others. So each of us is unique, and each area in which we're supposed to operate is to be within the uniqueness that God has given to us to benefit others, other people. 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. The last area of focus is this. We should focus on winning people to Jesus. We say that, but we often forget that that's, that's a basic command. We use the word evangelism to describe that. And evangelism sometimes gets caught up in just being a technical term for many people. They don't really understand what it means. Evangelism simply comes from the Greek word evangel or good news. And evangelism is only telling people about the good news, the good news of Jesus. And the good news happens in a lot of different ways. But most importantly, it describes how God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the fundamental focus. And God wants us to tell that good news to everyone, everyone in our circle of influence, in our circle of con, con, uh, connection. In Acts 1.8 it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's Jerusalem? That's where Jewish people live. No. Jerusalem, when he talks about that, those are the people closest to me, the people like me. The people closest to me and the people like me. The people closest to me and my family. The people closest to me economically. The people closest to me culturally. The people closest to me. And then he talks about Judea and Samaria. Those are, those are people that are further away. Those are the others. Those are the people that are different from me. They're different culturally. They're different ethnically. Sometimes it's through language. Sometimes it's through skin color. Sometimes it's shape of eye. Sometimes it's other things, but they're other. But being other does not mean bad. Being other means they're just different than we are because guess what? We're the other to them. And that's what we have to remember. And being witnesses and evangelizing is going to those people that are culturally, ethnically different than we are. I worked in a Chinese church for four years, several years ago. And what was very interesting is the Chinese, for most, most Caucasians or most non-Asians, let me put it that way, most non-Asians consider all Asians to be the same. They all look the same. Not true. Chinese can tell the difference between Chinese and Korean and Japanese and Thai. There's differences. But to us, they all look the same. Guess what? 
we look the same to them. But we're all look different too because we come from different backgrounds, whatever our heritage happens to be. So the fundamental mission of the church is reaching all of those groups. The people near in Jerusalem, the people further away in Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost ends of the earth. Everybody else. Church is not a club. It's not an entertainment center. And it's not a hospital. Church is a forward strategic base for reaching people for Jesus Christ so that the church is being built by the addition of people that are born again. That's what church is supposed to be about. And that's why believers have and should give their lives to the life-saving message of the gospel. Jesus says, look, I want you to be my witnesses. And a witness only tells what they saw, right? If the police take an accident report because of, you know, some pileup somewhere, they take an accident report, they want to know what you saw. They don't want to know what you think. They want to know what you saw. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be witnesses. We tell what we saw. What did we see in our life? How did we come to know Christ? What happened to us? And so we begin to tell that story. We don't have to go to an evangelism class. We don't have to know all of the verses and know all of the theological arguments and all of the background and all of the explanations and debunk whatever myth is out there about whatever we don't know anything about. All we have to do is just tell people what happened to me. What happened to me? If we stay in our own cultural surroundings and only deal with people in our own culture, we cannot fulfill our mission. We cannot. We must go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost to reach everyone. God wants you to go to your friends. He wants you to go to your family. He wants you to go to your co-workers. He wants you to go to your neighbors. As much as you can go, go. And wherever you go, tell the story about what happened to you. The witness that God wants you to be. So the focus of God is on really those five areas for the church. We need to focus on worshiping, right? We need to focus on fellowshipping. We need to focus on learning, discipleship. There's so many ways in which we are to be the people that God wants us to be. And my hope and prayer is, is that God will instill within you the desire to be the church that he wants this church to be as well as all churches to be and to be a church that's focused on those priorities for you and for everyone else that calls himself believers and for those priorities to be yours personally as well as corporately. So those are the ways in which we'll be taking a look at uh, the future 
and working together under those guidelines and maybe even explaining a few more things as we go along about that. I want to close this in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful that you love us. We're thankful for the word of God that teaches us so many ways about how to live, how you want us to live, about our relationship with you, how we can grow, how we can help one another grow. And God, I pray for this church, for joy, and I pray that you will work in a powerful way that during the process that we're using, during the areas of which we're going to be investigating, during the time of interactions together, that all of this will be used to bring this church to be a sharp, focused body of Christ that's focused on the areas that you want for each and every believer and each and every congregation of believers around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.